Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're glad that you're present today. We're so thankful to have visitors with us. We're grateful for a beautiful summer day. It feels a lot more like the Mid-South today than it has in previous days. We're glad that you're here and we're glad that we have the opportunity to be together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the passage that Jordan read a moment ago, verses 18 through 21. In our study today, we want to talk about the theme, reconciliation. The scriptures are a book a collection of writings that reveal unto us the redemption of the human family. And really, if you wanted to sum up the Bible in one word, it would be redemption. In this redemptive plan, we have a picture of the Creator reaching out to be reconciled with His creation. We talk about reconciliation. And we understand that there are times in life when friends and family members become estranged from one another. It is a beautiful thing when two people that have been at odds with one another are reconciled or brought together. In Luke chapter 15, there is a story told by Jesus of a young man that went out into a far country. The Bible says that he wasted his substance on riotous living. In that text, Jesus said that after hitting rock bottom, he came to himself and said, How many hired servants does my father have? And I'm perishing here with hunger. So he made a decision to go home acknowledge his wrongdoing, and hopefully be reconciled. In that story, Jesus said that when that son made the trip home, his father saw him at a distance and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the Bible says that the father said, this my son was lost and is found. He was dead and is alive. The picture there is of reconciliation, the bringing together of two parties that had been separated. In verses 18 through 21, we have a picture of the reconciliation that has been made possible by Almighty God. I want to begin today by talking about the plan of reconciliation. The plan of reconciliation could be summed up In the words of Paul in verse 18 when he said, All things are of God. Let me begin by suggesting that the scriptures talk about the great architect of reconciliation. And of course, that would be Almighty God. There are two things I want you to consider in this point. First, we want to think about for a moment or two the implications of reconciliation. The fact that God has initiated a plan, a process whereby 
we could be reconciled to him suggest that there is an estrangement. In other words, that there has been alienation or separation. The need for reconciliation is because of sin. That is, the sin of man. In verse 21, Paul would say that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That is, that we might enjoy the benefits or the blessings of reconciliation. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, God enjoyed a relationship with the first couple. And yet that relationship was broken because of sin. And so... Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. He would sum it up by saying, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet God thought enough of those of us who belong to the human family to reach out in an effort to reconcile us. That is, to bring us together. And then there is what I would call an explanation of reconciliation. When we think about the word reconciliation, it is a compound word. The term conciliation carries with it the idea of making friends. The prefix means again. So when you bring the two together, what you have is the making of friends again. That's the picture. That is the biblical portrait that we have described by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All of this, of course, made possible by Almighty God, the architect. I want you to think about this for a minute. God thought enough of you and me As his creation, we are described as the crown of his creation to reach out and bring us back so that we might enjoy a relationship with him. Now there's a second thing I want you to see in our study and that is the person of reconciliation. As we think about the person of reconciliation, it would be summed up again by Paul in these words. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We talk first about the architect of reconciliation. But then there is the agent of reconciliation. Well, who was the agent that made reconciliation between creation and the creator possible? The answer is Jesus Christ. Listen again to what Paul says in verse 18. All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 
Here's what we need to understand. Jesus Christ was the agent, that is, he was that active cause that stepped in and mediated between God and mankind, or between the Creator and His creation. He is the one that brought the two parties together. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul said that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? He said there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And Paul said he gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due season. So here's a question that we have to ask in light of the fact that Jesus was God's appointed mediator. He was that agent, the one that stepped in to bring the two parties together. Here's the question. How could God, who is a just and holy God, how could He, in His holiness and justice, not impute or reckon, as some translations might render it, how could God not impute, reckon, or take into account the trespasses or sins of mankind and remain a holy and just God? The answer is Jesus Christ. He's the only answer. You see, first we have to come face to face with the problem of sin. Sin has been a problem since the Garden of Eden. When sin entered into the, into the world, God began unveiling His redemptive plan. The promised seed that was set forth in chapter 3, verse 15, was given in an effort to reconcile the Creator to His creation. And so sin is what drove a wedge between us and our God. That wedge remains in the lives of people that live in sin. And so you have the problem of sin, and then there is the penalty for sin. Well, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So those who are in sin, they're living under the condemnation of a penalty. That is, the wages of sin. And Paul said that the wages of sin is death. That is, eternal separation from Almighty God. But, because of the problem of sin and the penalty that must be given because of sin, there was a payment. A payment that was made on our behalf. The only person that could have made that payment was Jesus Christ. God spared not His own Son, but the Bible says He freely gave Him up for us all. Why is that? So that we could be reconciled? So that we could have a relationship with God the Father? You remember Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, or but through me. How do I enjoy a relationship with my Creator? Through Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because He is the mediator. Between whom? Between God and man. Here is God on the one hand, here is mankind on the other. And here is Jesus in the middle. It is as if Jesus reached out and took the hand of God and the hand of man and brought them together. That's reconciliation. That is the making of friends again. 
Well, what drove that wedge between man and his creator? Again, sin. And so Paul would say, all things are of God. When we talk about the grace, mercy, and love of Almighty God, we need to understand, had God not loved us and cared about us, he would never, ever have devised a plan to save us. Do you really think that God would have sent his son, his only begotten son, to live and die by the hands of his creation if he didn't care about us, if he didn't love us? Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28, For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Think about it this way. Because of sin, Satan has in effect taken us hostage. The Bible talks about how we have been taken captive by him to do his will. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, that's a picture of what sin does. It enslaves. It brings us into bondage. And so here are people that have been taken captive or taken hostage because of sin. Well, because God loved us, He said, all right, here is the ransom payment that will release my creation. What was that ransom payment? The blood of Jesus. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 1.7, In Him we have redemption, redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that is the power of reconciliation. Listen, if you would, to what Paul says in verse 21, or rather in verse 20. He said, Be reconciled to God. Let me just talk for a minute or two about the place of reconciliation. What are the means employed by God to make those of us that are a part of the human family, what are the means that have been employed to make us righteous in the eyes of God? What are the means that have been employed to bring us together? It's the gospel. The gospel is what brings people to our God. Now, the place where all of this is achieved is in Jesus Christ. Listen again to what Paul said in verse 21. Paul said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. God has revealed a plan whereby we can enjoy reconciliation. The Bible tells us that salvation is in Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10, Paul would say, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So here's the question. If salvation is in Christ, and it is, how then do I get into Christ? What do I do to put myself in a relationship with Almighty God so that I can enjoy freedom from sin, reconciliation with God, the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Christ? Well, I'm baptized into Christ. First, I have to understand that Jesus is who He claimed to be, the Son of God. The Bible tells us 
that without faith it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. Coming to the understanding that what the Bible says about Jesus is true. To acknowledge, as Peter did many, many years ago, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then to turn from a life of sin, to repent. As Peter encouraged on Pentecost Day in Acts 2, verse 38. To confess with my mouth that I believe Jesus to be the Son of God, like the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And then to be, to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism, so that I might enjoy the remission, the forgiveness of my sins. As Peter said in Acts 2, verse 38, When I'm baptized into Christ, I enjoy the benefits of the blood of Jesus. You see, Jesus shed his blood in death, according to John 19, 34. The only way that I can appropriate that blood is to go where it was shed. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So when I'm baptized into Christ, God adds me to the church, the ecclesia, the community of the saved. And I'm now pronounced one who is reconciled to God. So, reconciliation is in Christ, but it's also in the church of Christ. That is the church that belongs to Christ. It is the church that Jesus shed his blood for. Do you remember Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 28? He said, take heed to yourselves, to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made, made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. Well, when I obey the gospel, the Bible tells me that God puts me in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. Somebody asked the question, well, what's the body? Well, in Colossians 1.18, Paul said he's the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus was that active cause, the agent by which the church came into being. So when I am obedient to the gospel of Christ, God puts me in that body. It's at that point that I am numbered among the redeemed and that I am reconciled. Well, how do you know that reconciliation is in the body? Well, in Ephesians 2 verse 16, Paul said that God, through Jesus has made both one, that is Jew and Gentile, in one body under God through the cross. Reconciliation takes place in the body, in the church. So those who are reconciled, they're in Christ, they're in the church of Christ. And then secondly, the plea of reconciliation. I want you to listen again to what Paul said in verse 20. Paul writes, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Why do we need to be reconciled to Almighty God? Let me just answer that by calling attention to what Paul said in verse 14 of this same chapter. Listen to what he said. The love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, 
listen to him, then all died. The idea is the reason we need to be reconciled because we are in a state prior to conversion of spiritual death. We're lost. We're outside the ark of safety. We are, as Paul said in Ephesians 2.12, without hope and without God in this world. We are estranged from Him. And then, back up and look at verse 10. Those who are in a lost condition, every person for that matter, needs to, needs to understand what Paul has to say about the judgment to come. In verse 10, Paul said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, it's in light of the future judgment that Paul would write these words, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, he said, we persuade men. All he's saying is, in light of the fact that outside of Christ, we have to stand before Almighty God. And in that condition, we're in jeopardy of losing our eternal soul. That's why it's incumbent on us to be reconciled. That's why it's absolutely necessary to obey the gospel of Christ. Now, here's a second question. When should, be, when should we be reconciled to God? Is there a time that would be right for me to be reconciled to Almighty God? Let's just say that I'm outside of Christ that I have no relationship with my Creator as a part of His creation. When is the most logical time to get my life right with Almighty God? To be made right in the eyes of Almighty God? Well, listen to what Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Here's what Paul's saying. The golden hour to be saved, it's not tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. He said, it's now. Right now. Why? Well, number one, because death could come. Death could intervene. A second reason, because the Lord Himself might come. A third reason, because one day, as Paul said, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess to God. So then, we must all give an account of ourselves to God. The bottom line, we're going to be judged. Only the redeemed, the reconciled, have the hope of life eternal. That's why Paul said, look, you want to know when the golden hour is to be saved? It's now. Today. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So I want to ask you, we talk about reconciliation. 
If you're not a Christian, if you're not a child of God, if you haven't done what the Bible says to do to become one of His children, what are you waiting on? What would you be waiting on? What better time to do what God has said than to do it right now? Think about it this way. You know, we talk about reconciliation, the bringing of two people together. I think all of us as members of the human family, we, we talk about our biological family members. And then we talk about our friends. Think about it this way. As a child of God, we are described by Peter as people of like precious faith, aren't we? That is, there's a bond. There's a fellowship that ties us together. Let's just say that you're a Christian mother. You're a Christian wife. Your husband, however, is not a Christian. Your children's daddy, not a Christian. Let's just say as a parent, you're a Christian. Your children aren't Christian. Your, your children aren't members of the body of Christ. They're not a Christian. I want you to look at them right now. If you're in, if you're in a family setting and one, of, one or more of your family members are not part of the body of Christ. Look at them. Take a hard look at them. Here's what I want you to think about. If you stood before God on the judgment right now, you'd say goodbye forevermore. You'd never see him again. Ever. 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 Say goodbye. The person you've been living with, whether it's your husband or wife, your children, your brother, your sister, if you die outside of Christ, they're gone. If you're not in Christ, you need to do something. You need to do it today. Don't wait. There are a lot of folks that have waited too long, too late. A buddy of mine said to a lady one time, don't go too far and don't stay too long. This lady went too far, she stayed too long, and she died out of Christ. Don't let that happen to you. The reason we preach the gospel is because we're interested in souls. Your soul. Every soul is important to Almighty God. So think about the personal relationships that you have forged here. And think about your family. You want to be with your children? You want to be with your maid in heaven one day? If that's the case, you have to all be in Christ. You have to all be faithful to Christ. Or there will be some separations. Would you come as we stand and sing?